You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary Flames game day here on Sportsnet 960. Flames Golden Knights for the first time this season. Flames coming off a 2-2 road trip. Now set for six straight at home. Welcome to Sportsnet Today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. Our Flames coverage starts at 6.30 tonight with Pat Steinberg on your Flames warm-up show. Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson will call the Flames and Golden Knights at 7.30 here on Sportsnet 960. What can we tell you about tonight's matchup? Goaltending, it'll be Aiden Hill going for the Golden Knights. Jacob Markstrom starting for the Calgary Flames. Spent some time working out some new power play units at practice this morning. Very similar lineup to what they had against Colorado on Saturday. We'll dive more into the Flames side of things as we go on this afternoon. But right now, helping us take a look at the opposition on this game day. Very happy to welcome in a regular whenever we talk Vegas Golden Knights here on Sportsnet 960. It's our pal Ken Belke from Sinbin Vegas joining us down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline. Ken, happy game day, man. How are you? What's going on? How's the uh, the summer and I guess early parts of uh, the NHL season as defending Stanley Cup champions been for you guys? I mean, it was rolling around very smoothly. It was looking like it was going to be a historic season where they were just going to beat the crap out of everybody. And then things slowed down a little bit. They hit a snag about like two weeks ago. Maybe it's almost three now. It's been like about nine games. So they've been a little not as good. Uh, They've really struggled to score recently. And now you're starting to see a little bit of the frustration set in. And then today the lines are going in the blender. So they're, they're starting to look for solutions too. Yeah. uh, Going back there last loss, they were shut out by the coyotes to nothing. And I heard some post game thoughts from uh, a couple different people. Bruce Cassidy wasn't happy with his team's effort. And I, I thought the most interesting quote I heard there, and I'm curious if you felt the same way was, Jonathan Marsha show talking about, hey, there's there's no days off for this group anymore. If we didn't, you know, pay attention, we're the Stanley Cup champions. No one's going to give us a night off in this league, and it feels like they have to come to that understanding right now. Yeah, I, I was interested in him calling it an unacceptable loss. Like I did, didn't think they played all that well. They had some chances, but they kind of gave up one of the only chances that they had. So I didn't think it was like a terrible game that they played, but you're starting to see that frustration kind of seep in where it's like, we need to start scoring. And if we don't, everybody's going to be on their a game against us. You know, they're, they're, you're going to have every single team saying, this is the measuring stick. This is the game that they really want, no matter who they are. And even a team like Arizona, who was struggling at the time, they were talking about trying to have one good shift to get them out of what was going on they were able to come in and, and play a game that was at least competitive with, with a team that they're very rarely competitive against. That was the first time the Coyotes won in Vegas since 2019. So it's, uh, they're definitely starting to realize, like, this is not going to be as easy as it maybe seemed straight off the top of the season. Uh, one big uh, missing piece for this Golden Knights team right now. It doesn't sound good for Shea Theodore right now. Uh, you and me have talked about him in the past and just how impactful he is on that back end for Vegas. That's a big loss for this group, eh? Yeah, he's crucial in kind of helping them break out. Like a lot of a lot of focus for him goes on the offense. 
And obviously that is a big part of what he does. He's able to dance guys at the blue line. He's very good at getting a shot through at the point. He's good on the power play. But I think where you really notice him the most is they just don't have a guy who can skate them out of trouble anymore. When Shea's not in there and, and there's a puck kind of deep in the zone, Shea can pick it up and just kind of skate through a couple of guys and get yourself out of trouble. And a lot of his assists come from exactly that, where he makes one stretch pass or he skates himself out of uh, some danger. They don't have that at the moment. And, and putting in Ben Hutton and Braden Pahal, and uh, if Korzak goes in tonight, it's just not quite the same. And, and you, you definitely do recognize that. And then beyond that, there's a trickle-down effect into how much Alex Petrangelo has to play. And the more he plays, sometimes the more mistakes that come with that. So there, there's no doubt that missing Theodore is going to be bad. And he's certainly out tonight and looks like tomorrow. And then I don't think it's going to be much beyond that. So I don't, I don't think it's like a horrible long-term thing, but mm-hmm. a couple games here and they weren't very good without him in that first game. Yeah. Tough to lose a guy like that that does so much for your group. And uh, as a key part, obviously, in that Stanley Cup championship last year. Not a lot of turnover for this team from last year's group. A lot of the similar faces we'll see in Calgary. We've seen with Vegas before, but uh, one guy who came into the scene last year for Vegas and has been uh, a pretty big revelation for this group. I'm curious what you've seen uh, out of Ivan Barbashev to start the season because, man, was he ever an impact maker and to the point that Vegas just said, we can't let you go. we got to keep you around for the long term. Yeah, he was he was uh, just putting up points and, and putting guys through the glass consistently in the playoffs. And I found the contract a little bit interesting when they went and, and made the move, like to kind of basically give the Riley Smith contract to Ivan Barbashev and allow Riley Smith to move on. It was not exactly normal for what you look at the history of what Ivan Barbashev has been. He's a, basically a 35 to 40 point player on a season and they're paying him like he's closer to 60, 70, something like that. Yeah. So I was a little surprised to see that. And then we've gotten basically the normal Ivan Barbashev in the regular season so far. He has eight points uh, or is it six? I think it's six points through uh, 21 games. He's not good enough. Like, he needs to be better. It appears that they're going to pull him off the top line for the first time all season. And really first time since he got here, he'll probably not be with Eichel. I think it happened one playoff game or two last year. Other than that, all other about 60 games he's played here. He's been with Eichel Pierce. He's not going to be with Eichel today. So he, uh, he was definitely at fault for the goal uh, uh, that they gave up against Arizona as well. So it, he's, he's got to get going like this. This has not been good enough that you sign the big contract and start to struggle. Uh, it doesn't look good. Uh, sure sounds like just from you know getting ready for tonight's game and talking to you early on here, uh, the line juggling is not something that Bruce Cassidy uh, has had to do much of with this group. No, it's not. He, he does it inside of games. Like there'll be games where they're not getting uh, what they're expecting and he'll kind of move a couple guys around or he'll find the player that's playing best and jump him up and sure. then that leads to a couple things changing. But he usually ends up going back to what he's used to uh, and, and it's been basically the same idea. We, we kind of look at it as, as pairs. So it's Stone and Stevenson, Eichel and Marchessault, and then Carlson and Amadio has basically been the pair. And it was Carlson and Smith at the time, and now that has changed. But now, you know, it does look like they're going to say, well, we're not scoring, we're not generating as much as we possibly could. We've got to find something, and we'll see if they – with what they're going to go with tonight or, or well, whether they'll go back. I could see it being something where by the middle of the second period, we're back to the lines that we're used to seeing. So I wouldn't go overboard with it, but it's definitely an admission that 
things aren't going the way that they need to be going. Yeah, and it's clearly a, an effort to get the scoring going because you guys had it uh, up on Sinbin Vegas' uh, Twitter account today. Shut out three times in six games, two or fewer goals, six of the last nine. And uh, when you started the season, obviously 11-0-2, uh, a great record, but the goals per for game have just yeah. dipped uh, unbelievably in their last nine. Yeah, I mean, they were scoring at will for the beginning of this season, uh, all throughout the entire playoffs. Like they, they averaged almost four goals a game throughout the playoffs, which was just insanity when you look at the history of the league, and especially a team that has been bounced out of the playoffs basically the last three times that they were in it from failing to score. They stopped scoring in the middle of the playoffs the last three times they were gone, and then this last time, just never happened. So they were on effectively like an 80-game stretch there from the All-Star break to last year through the playoffs to the first 15 of this year where three was like almost automatic and you'd expect them to get four and sometimes five against the teams lower down in the standings. And that has come to a grinding halt here. And they, they're they're searching for it too. Like I've, I've seen the scoring chance numbers. I know that they're kind of talking like they're there. I don't think they're playing the same style of game. I don't think they're getting to the front of the goal as much as they used to, and they're just not holding the puck as deep in the zone as they used to. They're getting a little bit more reliant on shots from the point, and it's it's showing. Like It's it's going to be hard for them to get three goals uh, basically any time on this trip, so we'll see what happens. Uh, one guy that's uh, really performed well to start the year offensively, William Carlson, uh, I believe nine goals and 11 assists in 21 games this year. It, 53 points last year, nothing to sniff at, but we know this guy at times in Vegas has really produced at a another level. Are we seeing that again from William Carlson? Is it a hot start to the season that we think is going to be able to continue? What have you seen uh, out of his hot start with Vegas this year, Ken? Yeah, he and Eichel have been the most consistent players on the team, and I think that I would argue Carlson's been even more valuable because of the line that he's had to play on. He's played with Amadio, Cotter, and Dora Fiev, which I'm imagining most people don't even know who any of the three of those players are, where Eichel has had Barbashev and Marcheseau the entire season. So I think Carlson, like, he's doing everything you can possibly ask for. He's phenomenal defensive center. He's scoring at the moment. His scoring kind of goes through waves of confidence, when he's a confident player, he, he shoots more. He's more willing to kind of get down into the dangerous area around the goal and try to get his stick on pucks and do things that, that lead to goals. And then when he gets a little less confident, we can see a stretch where he'll not score a goal for 15 games or so. And, and I think that's probably going to happen at different times. But to me, William Carlson's so much more than scoring. Like he, he's their best penalty killer. He's on their power play. He plays in every situation. He's, unbelievable defensively like you put him on the best player every single night and he succeeds so uh, he's he's like irreplaceable to this team and he's been that again this year Ken Belke along with us from Sinbin Vegas taking a look at the opposition tonight for the Calgary Flames it is the 14-5-2 Vegas Golden Knights uh one thing uh, scoring doesn't have any effect on this uh the goaltending for the Golden Knights has been outstanding we're expecting to see Aiden Hill in goal tonight, he signed that two-year contract extension in the offseason. He's off to a 9-2 and two start. Uh, even the numbers for Logan Thompson in a little bit. Fewer games have been really strong. I'd imagine that's been uh, a nice area for Bruce Cassidy to be able to turn to either guy, uh, at least so far this season, and see the same kind of results. 
Yeah, it's been good. I mean, it was real good through the playoffs. Hill was basically a revelation at times where he was like, we couldn't believe how good he was playing. And I think a lot of people were kind of in the same boat. I I do think a lot of it, though, when you look at how good the goaltending numbers are, have to kind of go more towards how well they defend as a team. They're very comfortable in this box and one zone defense that they play. And it's really hard to get to the middle of the ice. Now, with Theodore out, with Martinez out, we've seen less block shots. We've seen a little bit more rebound opportunities. So I think a little bit more is there, and that's where they have needed the goalies to clean up a little bit more of it, and that has been happening. Uh, that's been a question mark is like, is it the defense or is it the goalies that are getting the job done? I think this year you could pretty clearly say for the first 15 games or so, it was mostly the defense. Recently, the goalies have been better and have been erasing some of the problems that the defense has had. They just they can't do all of it. They gave up one to Arizona. They gave up one to Washington deep into the game. They gave up, I think, two to Pittsburgh deep into the game. And they're still not finding a way to get these wins. So defense has been good. Goalies have been good. And, and I expect that will continue on the trip, even if the scoring does not show up. I'm curious what the, the mindset's been around Vegas heading into this season, because I always wonder coming off of a championship, what the mentality is like in the sense of is the foot still firmly on the pedal in Vegas? And uh, I know it's early on and it's been a, a good start to early on in the year. And it's kind of, we've talked about it slowing down a bit the last nine or 10 games, but what's the feeling that you've gotten from the organization and from, I guess, expectations around the group? Is this still a group that's saying, Hey, look, we we won one, but we're still in a window. No reason that we shouldn't continue to push or has it, has it eased off a bit knowing that they've got one in the bank already? I mean, Cassidy kind of pretty quickly out of the gate said like, we don't want to be a, one of these one and done champions. And, and he, basically points directly at the blues every time he brings this up saying like, look, there's Chicago, there's LA, there's Pittsburgh, there's Tampa. And those teams were there, got there, won, got there again, won again. They consistently were in the mix where then there's St. Louis who finally broke through and then kind of fell off the map. They don't want to be St. Louis. And they've consistently talked about that. And I think like, it was hard to tell at the beginning of the season because they never lost and they're saying, ah, we're not playing that well and we're still winning. And you get this like, to me, artificial feeling of like, we need to be better, even though they're 13 and one or whatever it was. I think now they've hit this little snag and you are starting to see, they're like, wait a minute, we've got to play better. Like we're, we're the champs and we need to win again. We've got to do more than this. And, and there's definitely still that same uh, like appetite to continue winning that I think was there. I It's obviously different than last year where they had something to prove missing the playoffs and a lot of people kind of picking them to not be that good. It's a lot different now, but I still think they're out to win every single game and their expectation is we're winning the Stanley Cup this year or we have failed. It may be incredibly early to have this sort of conversation, but we know how aggressive this team has been when they feel they can make themselves a better team at this point in the season as we sort of get set to, to get into the middle part of the year and get closer to a trade deadline. Do you start having those conversations in Vegas? Has there started to be that, you know, sort of look to, okay, who might be selling? What might this group need if they want to get to uh, where they got last season? Has that peaked up in any conversations in Vegas? 
I mean, a little bit. You start to see kind of the, the line juggling, and, and every time they do this, you end up with a line that's kind of a winger short, and then I think you just look at the group as a whole and you think, man, we can really use another winger who can score here, which, again, not surprising. They, they'd let Riley Smith go. Yeah. So they still trying to fix that problem, and, and none of the young guys have really stepped up and scored at the level that they can. Dora Fiev's one that's kind of exciting, but he ends up out of the lineup every single time they have the chance. So clearly there's there's something from Cassidy that he's not quite seeing there. I think they will try to be active. They're always somewhat active, but my guess would be it would be more similar to last year where they're not going to be out there buying the superstar. They're not new last year. It was Tarasenko and uh, Timo Meyer and, and Patrick Kane. I don't think they're going to be in the mix for like the absolute best player that's on the market, but the Ivan Barbashev, Ted, Teddy Bluger, like they had Phil Kessel last year. I think they could be looking for something uh, in that respect, and it, and it would likely be someone who is going to score goals, play on the wing, and can p- potentially help their power play. That's where I would look. I don't think they would need a defenseman, but injuries have been really bad on their back line. So if that continues, maybe they do look to some sort of another veteran defenseman. They've had success finding that in the past, too. Uh, last but not least, just uh, out of the curiosity of my own mind, has there been any uh, talk about Robin Lehner and, and his future? I know he's been on LTIR for a while now, heading back to last season. Has there been any movement or word on what the future is for him? Uh, they've done the best they can to make it seem like he does not exist. Mm-hmm. I, I, there, anytime there's a question about him, it's effectively we don't know. And I'm not putting words in anybody's mouth here, but it yep. feels more like we don't care. Like it's, I don't think he'll ever play again for the Golden Knights. I don't think they expect him to ever play again in the NHL. I'm not sure he's ever going to play hockey again. That's kind of the read we've gotten. Uh, I'm rooting for the guy and hope it changes though. Like he, yeah. the story is is really really sad, and and it, it is very little to do with him actually making these mistakes. I think he was put in a terrible situation, and I hope that he's able to find a way back. But it it does not seem likely. Okay, fair enough. Appreciate the uh, the insight on that, Ken. Thank you, as always, for hopping on with us, man. Do appreciate it. Uh, great insight on the Vegas Golden Knights, as always, pal. Enjoy the game tonight. Uh, I'm sure we're going to check in again later this season, pal. Yeah, let's get a playoff series. I haven't been up there for a playoff series. Let's do that this year. Sounds right? like a plan. We'd be okay with that here. <laughs> let's do it. Thanks, Kenny. Appreciate it, man. See you. Thank you. Ken Belke joining us down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon from Sinbin, Vegas. All things Vegas Golden Knights. I was curious about Robin Lehner because I literally haven't heard anything about the guy just sitting there on, on LCIR. And, I mean, hey, they've got two good goaltenders right now, and Aiden Hill, who we'll see tonight, and, and Logan Thompson signed up for the next two years. But I was just generally curious because there was such a buzz about Robin Lehner being the guy in Vegas, and it's kind of uh, fell off uh, the last couple of years with some injuries and some other stuff going on. Uh, he did mention there, Shea Theodore out of the lineup. He's on IR for the Vegas Golden Knights. So that's a big loss heading into tonight's matchup with the Calgary Flames. Uh, if you missed it earlier, per our pal Pat Steinberg, uh, your lines and D pairings for tonight's game uh, for the Calgary Flames look like this. Andrew Mangiapane with Elias Lindholm, Yegor Sharangovich, Kadri with Zeri and Pospisil, Huberto, Backlund, Coleman, Greer, Ruzichka, Dubé, Deep pairings, Uyghur, Anderson, Hannafin, Tanev, Gilbert with Sidorov, Jacob Markstrom slated to get the start in goal after backing up Dan Vladar Saturday in Colorado. We're also working on the power plays this morning 
Interesting to see some changes there. No Rasmus Anderson uh, on either of the power play units they rolled out at practice today. We saw Kadri, Huberto, Lindholm, Sharon Govich with Hannafin. And then power play two was Backlund, Mangiapani, Zeri, Ruzichka, and Uyghur. So trying some new look power play units to try to get that power play going. We've talked about it at nauseum. Uh, the one for 29 stretch that this group is in. They have to figure it out. Uh, I thought there was a couple of spots on the road trip where it looked like maybe they were building momentum, but just too often it's been a momentum killer for this team and they got to figure it out. The talent is there. I have no doubt. Uh, I don't, I know some people have immediately looked to Mark Savard as, uh, as a scapegoat on this. I'm not buying that at all. The guy um, talks consistently about the work and the effort put in on the power play. Uh, we heard from Ryan Huska earlier. says this group just has to slow it down, create some shots on goal. And it was interesting. You can go back to the hour one podcast when we heard from Ryan Huska and he said specifically, and it's maybe not a term that you're used to hearing, they need to be more predictable for each other when it comes to the power play. The group doesn't know right now what anyone's doing with the puck or what the unit is trying to accomplish and that familiarity is missing with this uh, power play unit in the Calgary Flames. And for a team that is scoring by committee, the power play just can't be a non-factor. And it certainly can't be the negative factor that it's been at times. At, at a minimum, I would like to see the power play create some momentum and create some offensive zone time for this team. It, it's been the opposite uh, so much this season. And uh, look, you got a tough opponent tonight in Vegas, one of the top penalty-killing teams in the league. They killed uh, both of their penalties off Saturday and their loss to the Arizona Coyotes. That's uh, the 14th time this season Vegas has uh, allowed zero power play goals against on their opponents. So majority of the times this season, Vegas hasn't given up anything on the penalty kill. We'll see if the Flames can snap that uh, streak tonight for Vegas and potentially pick up a win to start off this six-game homestand. Again, reminder... Early start time, uh, or excuse me, late start time, not early, 6.30 is Flames warm-up with Pat Steinberg. He'll take you up to 7.30 with Derek and Megan on the call right here on Sportsnet 960. Uh, it is Hockey Fights Cancer Night at the Scotiabank Saddledome. Uh, of course, we're not going to be wearing any jerseys because why would the NHL want to support something like Hockey Fights Cancer? Uh, that would be just silly of them. Uh, do want to remind you, though, if you're heading down to the game tonight, uh, C-train work happening around the Scotiabank Saddledome right now. You can't take the C-train uh, to the Victoria Park or Stampede stations right now. You're going to have to find an alternate way there. So maybe uh, driving and finding a parking spot, taxi or Uber, always a great idea, especially if you're going to have a couple drinks uh, at the game tonight. But just a quick reminder, uh, if you're not usually taking the C-train, you're just going to take it for the game tonight that uh, there are some closures right now around Stampede and Victoria Park as they get that new station uh, set to open up at the end of the week. But for uh, at least this game tonight and the game on Thursday against the Dallas Stars, you're going to have to uh, find some alternate ways in there. Could create a little bit of chaos around the Saddle Dome, so make sure you get there early for a 7.30 puck drop. When we come back, 32 Thoughts of the podcast with Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick dropped earlier today. Some thoughts on Patrick Kane and a potential landing spot for him on the latest edition. We'll dive into that next when Sportsnet Today returns on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.
All right, rolling on in the Calgary Flames game day. It is the Flames and the Vegas Golden Knights. Calgary looking to start off a six-game homestand with a victory. Coming up on Thursday, we'll welcome in the Dallas Stars. Flames picked up a win in Dallas last week, so a quick rematch at the Saddledome later on. And then, of course, four games to start the month of December at the Dome as well. Flames have played the fewest amount of home games among NHL teams to start this season. Just seven of them have been at the Scotiabank Saddledome compared to 14 on the road. We'll even that out once this homestand wraps up for the Flames. Again, 6.30, Flames warm up with Pat Steinberg. 7.30, Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. And uh, as we were finishing up last segment, I mentioned there are some C-train closures around the Scotiabank Saddledome. So if you're heading to the game tonight, plan your travels accordingly. And we got a great reminder here on the fan feedback line at 960-960 where you could text us if you're listening live. Choose to text on anything we're talking about today. Uh, we got this from Ray, our friendly bus driver, Sending us uh, this, he says, I'm a city transit driver. Want to let you know that if somebody's taking the C train, they do have shuttle buses that run straight past there from City Hall all the way down to Chinook Station. And one of the stops is the Saddle Dome where the train station is so you can get there. So there's going to be some shuttles taking you around those closed C train stations. Uh, appreciate our pal Ray sending that in to the fan feedback line at 960-960. Because I know a lot of Flames fans... Uh, do take transit to get to the games. Maybe it's just a little slower with the shuttles, uh, but make sure you take your time. Heading out to the game should be a good one tonight. Flames and the Vegas Golden Knights. Going to uh, turn our attention to another story in the NHL right now, uh, and that is the impending free agent decision for Patrick Kane. Of course, the longtime Chicago Blackhawk finished the year last year with the New York Rangers. Uh, dealt with some off-season surgery uh, that delayed the start of his season. Word is he's healthy, ready to go, and has been narrowing down his list of teams to sign with. Sounds like it's going to be a team out east. Uh, we've heard Toronto. We've heard Detroit. We've heard Boston. Um, we've heard Florida. We've heard Buffalo. Uh, it continues to wait and see mode what's going to happen it continues to be wait and see mode as to what's going to happen with Patrick Kane uh what kind of impact he could have it sounds like he feels better than he did last season feels like he's back to the playmaker we knew during his time with the Blackhawks uh Elliot Friedman on the latest 32 thoughts podcast that just dropped this Monday wherever you get your podcast Google Amazon Spotify uh your favorite podcatcher he and uh Jeff Merrick dove into the Patrick Kane scenarios, what Elliot's hearing, starting with uh, the fact that perhaps the Detroit Red Wings might be the favorite to land Patrick Kane as of right now. Let's hear from Jeff and Elliot on the 32 Thoughts podcast, all things on the future of Patrick Kane. Are the winds blowing the wings way? Jeffrey, the easiest and most simple answer to your question is yes. Some of the winds are blowing towards Detroit. But if you know any meteorologists or anyone who's delivered the weather on television, like the current host of Hockey Night in Canada, Ron McLean, 
who was a weatherman earlier in his career, you know that they will tell you that winds can blow different directions at the same time. And as someone said to me on Sunday morning discussing my conversations about Kane, quote, no one hedges better than Elliot Friedman. And that's true. I freely admit I know what I know and I know what I don't know. And I don't know everything about this situation, although I'm going to try to give you every piece of information that I do have. One of the things that's very clear about this is Patrick Kane wants no leaks. He's definitely limited the amount of information and his camp, the people around him have been very tight because that's what the client wants. So the taps, the faucets, and the washers are all screwed on tight and sealed. It hasn't been easy. The other factor that I think is a big part of this is that not all of the teams, like, you know, for example, Detroit has cap room, Buffalo has cap room, but many of the other teams in the league don't, and they want it to be kept quiet because, for example, if you're going to bring in Kane at a number closer to where he wants to be, you might have to do some surgery to your roster, and you can completely understand why those managers would want that to be quiet to avoid the speculation in case they're not the team that gets Kane. Why have the headache or the aggravation if Kane's not going to be there when you know even being linked to his presence makes people say, oh, what are they going to have to do to bring in Patrick Kane? Then you add in some of the obvious dislike of these general managers to have their plans out in the open. The Minister of Secrecy, Lou Lamorello, the Deputy Minister of Secrecy, Steve Eiserman. Like these guys aren't going to want anyone they're going to know what they're up to, whether it's Patrick Keene or a waiver transaction. They just don't like it. So I think all of that has contributed to the cone of silence uh, around this. I mean, Detroit. There's, there's a lot of things about it that make sense. There's his longtime relationship with Alex Dabrinkit. They have the cap room. It's easy and simple travel. Detroit's got a lot of short trips to a lot of places. And to be perfectly honest, there was one person who said to me, look, if you're worried about the travel in the Western Conference, why would you want to go to Florida when Florida and Tampa Bay have the worst travel in the Eastern Conference? They're, you know, remote outposts compared to a lot of the other places. Now, I don't know that that's what Kane is going to be overly worried about. Uh, I've had people suggest it to me, but, you know, I just thought I would mention it because I thought it was interesting that somebody uh, brought that up. So, you know, here's the the best information uh, I can give you. And again, I'm going to say that it's been a challenge to get it, and I can't guarantee it's 100% right, but I want to give you an, an idea of what people are saying out there. The people I'm sharing this from, they're people who have good batting averages generally. They are not baseball players who hit below the Mendoza line. And if you don't know what the Mendoza line is, uh, that was named after a, a former major leaguer by the name of Mario Mendoza, who I think had a below 200 batting average uh, in his major league career. I think half of the years he played. So they call it the Mendoza line if you hit below 200. These guys are more Tony Gwynn, Ted Williams type. They 
They have good numbers. They, they make good contact. So one of these people believes it's going to be Detroit. Another one said he thinks that Kane was kind of down to a combination. You know, I said on Saturday night it was two to three teams. He thinks that's a combination of Detroit, Florida, and I have kind of discounted Dallas, but he has not done that. You know, the issue I have with Dallas is I think Kane would love to play there. I'm just not sure Dallas thinks it's the best idea for them. I think they feel that they, if they're going to add, it's going to be on defense. And the other thing that, you know, someone pointed out to me is it's an interesting one because Dallas knows what it's like to have players recover from hip surgery. Look, Ben's been through it. Sagan's been through it. And, you know, what this individual said to me was there's probably no team in the league that would have as good an idea on what Kane is capable of doing or not doing than the Stars. So I just wanted to include them. I do think Kane's been very interested in on them. I've just waffled on the idea of Dallas really wants to do this. Now, I will also say this. A couple of people have agreed with me that there's, there's definitely things we're not seeing. There's teams who have been involved in this that we haven't figured out yet. And all I'll say is this. There are a couple of teams out there who suspect, they, they said, look, Toronto looked into it, even though it doesn't make sense because it's kind of in Tree Living's DNA to look into things. And there's a couple teams out there who suspect that Boston might be another team that's poked around on this. And Again, it's all circumstantial evidence, but it makes sense because the thing about Boston is, you know, they're a good team. They could win. Um, I don't know if they could do more than one year. I'm not sure that makes any sense for them, but they are the kind of organization that would look at Kane and say, does this help us? Or in a good year, what can we add to make us better. If you look last year, they went for it. They lost in the first round. They gave up a lot of capital, but it was a go for it year for them. And I just think there are teams who suspect that this is a player that won't cost you um, anything in terms of draft picks or prospects. He's a free agent and they're good again. And I just thought I would mention it because it does kind of fit with Boston's DNA of we're good. What can we add? At what cost? And this makes sense to me. So that's kind of where I think everybody here is. And once again, I am prepared to be end up on freezing cold takes because I'm not 100% accurate. Kane's made this hard, but that's the, the best information I can give you at this point in time. I'm really curious about the Detroit one. They have the cap room. They have the space on the roster. They're doing very nicely so far this season. As we look on Sunday night, they're sitting there very much in contention in the Atlantic Division in the Eastern Conference. They have the second best goal differential in their division. They have the third best goal differential in the conference. And there are a lot of people who look at that stat and say, if your goal differential is good, it really says something about who you are. So I definitely think there's a lot of people wondering about Detroit 
And whether or not he ends up there, I can't tell you for sure on this Monday morning, but I definitely think they're a serious team to watch in this. There you go. Elliot Friedman from the latest 32 Thoughts podcast, the latest on Patrick Kane. Lots there. The obvious beginning part uh, of that conversation feels like heading towards a decision with the Detroit Red Wings. But as you heard from Elliot, there's still a lot of other suitors, a lot of other teams that could be in the mix for a guy like Patrick Kane. We're expecting a decision sooner rather than later. But uh, when a guy like Elliot doesn't exactly have a, a fair say yet as to where it's going to be, you can tell it's been a, uh, a pretty tight lipped process for Patrick Kane and one that uh, clearly we still don't have a full handle on where exactly he's going to end up. Uh, another part from uh, 32 thoughts podcast wanted to play for you guys. Uh, Friedman and Jeff Merrick diving in uh, on a story that uh, got some legs out of Minnesota uh, earlier last week uh, regarding Marc-Andre Fleury and uh, wanting to raise some money for uh, a good cause in Minnesota uh, had a mask done up by a local native American artist and was threatened by the NHL with fines to him personally and to the team as a whole of the Minnesota Wild, uh, if Flurry was to wear that mask during warm-up. Uh, eventually, he made the decision to wear the mask, and we haven't heard anything since from the NHL. Uh, Jeff and Elliot dive into uh, the fallout from that decision for Marc-Andre Flurry and what might happen if more players decide to go down that road. Here's a little bit more from Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick on the 32 Thoughts podcast. One more story on Minnesota. Um, and this is bigger than all of them. Marc-Andre Fleury and the Native Heritage Night mask that he wore in warm-up before the game against the Colorado Avalanche. Um, technically, it violates league policy, mm-hmm. but there is no fine. How do you see this entire situation? You know, obviously... Um this whole thing has been galaxy brained and there, there has to be a way to fix this the way it's set up. It isn't working for anyone. Um, so flurry in the wild, uh, approached the league, I believe in September about this. And at the time the policy was new and everything being equal, they were kind of told, look, this isn't going to be able to happen in terms of wearing it. And then since then, Travis Dermott used the pride tape, no penalty, and there shouldn't have been a penalty. There's no way there should have been a penalty, and there wasn't. And then what does Fleury see? He sees that, and he also sees that Bobrovsky and Grubauer are able to wear their Hockey Fights Cancer masks during games. Now, it's since been explained that they were allowed to wear those masks during games because they've done it before. But to Fleury and a lot of other people, they're going to say, like, you know, that's ridiculous. Either you can wear them or you can't. So what I think here is it gets closer to the date. Fleury sees that Dermot, no punishment, Grubauer and Bobrovsky allowed to wear it. Why should my mask be any different? And it's important to him for two reasons. The indigenous message in honor of his wife's family. And also there's a quote there from his father that's very meaningful to him. 
And nobody in the right frame of mind has any problem with the idea of Fleury wearing this mask. No one. There's no reason for him not to wear it. And I don't think there's a single person out there who would have a problem with him wearing it. And ultimately, at the end of the day, he wore it. No fine, no penalty to him or the organization, which I think is what, like anyone who doesn't think that's the right thing, I don't care about their opinion in the first place. So I was having a conversation with someone who works for another league. And, you know, we were talking about this. And, you know, one of the things I think that has to happen is there's a player inclusion committee. And there's a lot of players on this committee, some of whom are NHLers, some of whom no longer are, some of whom are women's players. Um, You know, there's a whole cross section of people there who want to be involved and want to do things that will benefit the sport. And for example, there are some indigenous players on this committee. And I can't imagine as that story blew up on Friday, it was really easy for them. Um, You're probably sitting there and saying, wait, like, I don't want to be a part of this if I'm going to be included in something that it looks like I'm blocking this mask from being worn. So that's one thing they they have to fix. You can't put the people on the players' inclusion committee in a bad spot. But, you know, the, the thing that uh, we were talking about is what he thinks is going on, and I suspect he's right. I don't want to get too deeply into this. This is not the podcast for it, but I, I think it's relevant to mention there's a lot of really difficult things going on in the world right now. A really, a lot of hard conflict, sad conflict, painful conflict and multiple fronts. And there are people who are worried that there is going to be more and it affects people of all backgrounds, uh, different cultures. Everybody out there knows what I'm talking about. And what he told me, and he said it's the case in his league, and he bets it's the case in the NHL too, that what they're worried about is not things like Fleury's mask. What they're worried about is that someday someone's going to want to put something on, whether it's a patch or a sticker or something, that is going to be incredibly divisive, whether it's a flag or a symbol or something like that. And he thinks that that's what all of these leagues are grappling to deal with because they do think there's going to be a day where something like that is going to happen. And that's what he thinks that this is all about. And, you know, I thought that was an interesting perspective. I still think the NHL has to find a better way to handle this because even if that is the reason things like pride tape and the flurry mask in this case shouldn't uh, be punished for that or shouldn't be uh, removed for that or prevented from being worn for that. But the more I thought about um, what he said to me, the more I wonder if the issue is not what we've seen, but if they're worried about what we could see. I don't have a great answer, but it did pop into my head. It doesn't mean that there shouldn't be a better job of clearing things like pride tape and this flurry mask, but he does believe that that's potentially what we're talking about here. 
There you go. More from Elliot Friedman on the 32 Thoughts podcast that dropped on Monday, wherever you get your favorite podcast. You can check out uh, the entire conversation with him and Jeff Merrick on a couple of other different topics. But uh, that's the fallout or lack of fallout, if you will, from the Marc-Andre Fleury situation. Um, just as Elliot said, this thing has just gotten to a, a just an unbelievable level that we're even having those conversations. Uh, we're not going to dive into the whole uh, NHL decision-making on that sort of thing right now, but um, the only decision was to allow Marc-Andre Fleury to wear that and continue to raise money on that night for the Minnesota Wild and what they were doing, uh, and I'm glad that that's what happened. So I wanted to uh, make sure that if you were one of the people like me that was curious where that was going, uh, you heard what the fallout was on the other side from Elliot. Uh, again, Calgary Flames game day today. That's where we're focused on here on Sportsnet 960 Flames and Golden Knights. Calgary 8-10-3 coming into tonight's action. Vegas 14-5-2. Both teams coming off a loss. Flames fell to the Avalanche. Well, the Golden Knights were shut out by the Arizona Coyotes. It's Jacob Markstrom versus Aiden Hill in goal tonight. Pat Steinberg's got Flames warm-up at 6.30. Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson on the call at 7.30 right here on Sportsnet 960, your home of the Calgary Flames. We'll see some different-looking power play units for the Calgary Flames. Not surprising given the lack of success they've had. Of course, they're in the midst of that 1-for-29 set. Uh, here are the power play units this morning per Pat Steinberg. Kadri with Huberto, Lindholm, Sharon Govich, and Hannafin. Power play two, Backlund, Manjapani, Zeri, Ruzichka, and Uyghur. So no Rasmus Anderson uh, power play quarterback on either one of those from the defensive spot. We'll see if they can have some success. Vegas, uh, stingy on the penalty kill. They were two for two, killing penalties against the Coyotes. Uh, and that's the 14th time this season they have held their opponent without a power play goal. It's near the top of the NHL when it comes to that category. Uh, always a tough test when Vegas comes to town. They're in the midst of a slump trying to uh, get some scoring going in their lineup. After that 11-0-1 start to the season, uh, they've fallen off, uh, fallen off in their last nine games or so. We heard from Ken Belke a little bit earlier on in hour two with our look at the opposition. If you want more on the Vegas Golden Knights, go and check that out on the podcast. Uh, available wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite pod catcher. Appreciate it if you listen live or on the podcast today. Uh, thank you to Ken Belke for joining us. Thank you to Emily Sadler for joining us. She talked all things NFL. Her Week 12 NFL takeaways are available at sportsnet.ca if you want some uh, reading to get to ahead of Monday Night Football between the Vikings and the Bears. That's up at sportsnet.ca. Uh, we will be back tomorrow to react to this matchup between the Flames and the Golden Knights. Uh, we'll also try to check in with our pal Haley Salvian from The Athletics, see how uh, things are going in the PWHL. So we'll have a busy show for you on Tuesday. But for tonight, uh, enjoy the Flames and the Golden Knights. We've got uh, Real Kipper and Bourne coming up. Of course, Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson this afternoon. Uh, so lots to get to here on the station when it comes to Calgary Flames content. Uh, and before we go, of course, a quick shout-out to my outstanding producers on this Monday, Cam and Taylor for their great work back tomorrow to break down the flames and the golden Knights here on Sportsnet 960, the fan.